Hey there, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 315 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I hope you're not operating on an empty stomach. We've got a mouth-watering interview coming up in just a couple of moments. But before we get to that, it is time for introductions, time to say hi. I am Jason Evans, your host for this episode. As always, I'm joined by my fabulous, wonderful partners in crime. First up, Donald Wine. Donald, how are you feeling today? I'm doing good. And this is a warning for all of you out there, listeners who frequent the DBR forums. We are not, I repeat, we are not talking about Duke versus Kentucky on this podcast. <laughs> nice inside joke there, Donald. And as always, I'm also joined by Sam Klein. What you doing today, Sam? I'm very proud of myself this week because I told Donald about uh, the Tigers and the Royals playing in their in their cool Negro League throwbacks the other day. And I was like, Donald, I feel like you're going to really like the uniforms the Tigers are wearing today. And then I, I heard back from Donald a couple days later that he had purchased the the Detroit Star Detroit Stars is the is the team it's the Detroit Stars. Uh, so every year. Yeah. So so quick story. Every year, the Detroit Stars, uh, I'm sorry, the Detroit Tigers and the Kansas City Royals, they play in multiple series, but one series a year they pick a game or two either in detroit or in kansas city where they do a negro league throwback the negro league museum is in kansas city and the two original teams of the negro leagues were the detroit stars and the kansas city monarchs among a couple other teams so they do it every year and they always come out with a hat i had not seen this hat sam alluded you know hey might want to check out the highlights for this game i saw the hat this was monday morning and i'm sorry sunday evening on Sunday evening, I was like, hey, someone find me this hat. I found it on a random internet, like Instagram ad. They said, hey, looking at new Negro League stuff? Check this website out. And the first one that popped up was this hat that they wore that had just come out. Ordered it on Monday morning. It arrived here on Wednesday evening. That is service for you, ladies and gentlemen. I'm, so I'm taking credit for, for Donald's latest swag. And, and if you don't know Donald or you've never encountered him, and I guess if you're not a Duke fan in the D.C. area, or if you're not a soccer fan anywhere in the world and you haven't seen him before, uh, Donald has has one of the best collections of sports apparel and and accessories I think that I've ever seen in, on a human being. Hey, you, so. you have to follow Donald Wine on Twitter because when he gets new stuff, new jerseys especially, always he, he is always. putting it out there on the Twitter. That, that uh, it, it is it is great to watch. Did did you see the? Uh, I, I know. Quick side. Did you see? Since we're talking about food, the Whataburger hat that I got last night. Yes. Yes, you you're, you're extremely swaggy. Um, yeah. I, I can't hope to I can't hope to compete, but I would like to be here to to support. I can't wait. So, so I'm very proud of myself on that front, and I can't wait to uh, share this interview that we just did uh, talking about food and Duke basketball. Yeah. So let's get to the uh, main content for this uh, this episode of the DBR podcast, uh, folks. If you are listening to Return to Glory, my series on the 2001 Duke Blue Devils, you heard just this past week that Shane Battier talked a little bit about Ted Wheeler Barbecue, Ted Wheeler Catering. This is the company that um, Shane says fed them throughout the entire 2001 season. And after Shane said that, I was like, you know what? I should should reach out to this guy. I should see who this Ted Wheeler person is. So I contacted Ted. He is now retired. Um, uh, But uh, I found out that he was the go-to caterer for Duke Athletics for 30-plus years. And this gentleman has some real fun stories to tell all of us. So here's the interview we did just moments ago with Ted Wheeler, the official caterer of the Duke Blue Devils. (laughs) 
So the DBR podcast is joined now by Ted Wheeler, the man who was the go-to barbecue and catering person for Duke Athletics for 30 plus years. Ted, thanks for joining us, first of all. And how on earth did you become, you know, Mr. Barbecue, Mr. Food for Duke Athletics for decades? <laughs> well, it kind of started on a fluke, I guess, but I was catering a meeting for the Northwest Blue Devil Club in Winston-Salem for some guys that put it together, Sam Carter, who was with Piedmont Airlines, and some others, and Piedmont Airlines and Shelco Construction Company were customer uh, customers of mine in Winston-Salem. Ron Smith came to Winston that night for the Iron Dukes because it was an Iron Dukes meeting. Coach K spoke at this particular meeting. It was at a Methodist church in Winston. I don't remember the name of the church, but um, this was the year um, coming in that Bobby Hurley was coming into Duke. So that can give you a year and a time frame about how long it's been. Ron had met me and we were out cooking food, chicken, fish, and things like that on the street and bringing it inside and setting up a buffet. And Ron came to me afterwards and said, would you come to Duke and cater for us? Because at the time, their caterers were retiring. So started from that. We did a lot of Iron Duke functions. Uh, John Roth was the sports information director then, and then it spun off to John getting us to do things for sports information, press meals and that type of things for football and basketball. And it just really mushroomed from there. And um, it's been a heck of a lot of fun. Each time I have walked on that campus and brought a truck and a truckload of food, it's, I've kind of always had to pinch myself saying that, you know, I can't believe this is happening. Here I am, a little guy from a small town in North Carolina, and I get to come to Duke University and cater for a lot of wonderful people. And can you tell us, Ted, a little bit more about exactly what uh, what function you served and, and kind of who who your customers were, I guess, and 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 uh, and what kind of meals you were preparing? Well, we our customers were a lot of it starting out, like I said, was Iron Dukes. It was. Um, doing meals for them, um, receptions and that type of thing, um, before they come to ball games and that type of situation. Then it kind of spun off to doing press meals for John Roth, for, for the, uh, for the media, for basketball games and football games. They didn't do much form on other sports. And then it got into sports and stuff. The coaches got to meet me when we would do press meals in Cameron, which was, and what was the old Hall of Fame building, which is now, I think, called the Media Room, um, I invited everybody to come. I mean, we may come to serve 30 media people, but we may end up serving 60 um, people total because we served 25 or 30 staff, and I got an opportunity to meet everybody. It was always an open-door policy type thing. Come get some – it was called Ted Food is what it was called. It was kind of a nickname, I think. And, um, and it was always, let's go get some Ted food. And uh, so it, it just blossomed from there. Um, ended up doing a lot of things for basketball for probably six or eight years. And um, that, was a, that was a lot of fun also. Had, had some great relationships that I met some wonderful basketball players that have come through Duke. What did a typical media meal or, or, or team meal or Iron Duke's meal, what was, what was typically served? 
Oh, you know, typically there was always some kind of chicken. You got to have some kind of chicken. Usually fried. I'm very well known for fried chicken, but we would do, and because we would cook it on site, we would bring cookers and those types of things and cook it on site. But it was always maybe some type of chicken, maybe another type of meat, two or three sides, a salad, perhaps um, cookies, brownies. They love those. And we always had iced tea and lemonade and those types of things to drink. And it was nothing elaborate. It was nothing China and fun silverware or anything like that. Um, we did cater the basketball banquet a couple of times, which was a um, tough undertaking. That was a, a tough event to cater because it's not really a kitchen in Cameron where you can work at, or at the time there wasn't. So I hate doing podcasts while I'm hungry. And of course, we're doing a podcast about barbecue. Um, so my question to you is, what is your favorite barbecue? What is the one that you're like, if you, if you eat Ted food, this is what you should have. Oh, really? Oh, let's see. Well, I love fried chicken. That's number one. And I like barbecue pork, but I like simple things like hot dog and hamburgers. A hot dog and a hamburger off a charcoal grill is nothing better to me. Preach. Um, that, <laughs> no, I said, I said, and, preach, uh, man. I, I, oh God, that's and making me hungry Donald, already. Why, why are you doing this to me, Donald? This is tough. <laughs> Shifting it to the basketball, right? We we heard about a lot of players who enjoy your barbecue, enjoyed your cooking. Is there one story you have about one player that just like absolutely just destroyed an entire buffet of of Ted food? Like, if there's one player that you thought ate the most in one sitting over the years, oh, name well, that basketball players probably Elton Brand. Can I tell you a quick story about Elton Brand? Oh, please do. Night- yes. Please <laughs> oh, yes. do. <laughs> this was the night before the Carolina game. And typically when we did team meals for basketball and it was the night before, and I wouldn't do desserts and stuff. So I didn't want to sugar them up and get them all hyped up on sugar and that kind of stuff. But most every other time we would, you know, do some kind of desserts. But Elton comes up to me and he's kind of looking around after he's eating dinner. And I loved Elton. And I loved all of them, to be quite honest with you. But Elton especially was it was great. And and uh, Elton comes up to me, and I'm standing up, and I'm five six, and Elton's what six eight nine ten something like that maybe. And his hands are about eighteen inches long. Elton comes up to me and puts his hand over my shoulder, and said, "Ted, where are the desserts?" I said, "Well, Elton, you know what? I don't normally bring desserts the night before a big game and stuff." And he kind of looked at me at this look and shook his head. He says, Ted, I kind of like my desserts. And I said, Elton, there'll be desserts here from now on. Don't worry about that. And uh, it was just a funny moment. You had to kind of be in the moment to understand it. But he was just, he was great. But he could he could pack away some food. And um, actually, all of them could. And, you know, it was amazing. But they burned up so many calories. And they came in there after a shower, after, right after practice. So they were usually pretty hungry. Sometimes they were very hungry, and a lot of times we'd always have takeout boxes, and most of the times they would eat and take out something with them to take home with them also. Can you, Ted, for, for those of us who have not been uh, high-major athletes and have not served high-major athletes, can you give us a sense of how much more a, an Elton brand or like a, an offensive lineman eats than like a normal human being? You fix twice as much food. Like so Elton Brand, Elton Brand eats two meals for every meal that I eat. 
Yeah, you know, absolutely. That's you know, back in those days, I'm sure not now, but back in those days, I'm sure he did and stuff. I mean, it was really funny. One time, Christian Leitner and Christian had already graduated when I started doing these meals, and um, but Christian came in. He was practicing in the gym while he was playing pro ball and stuff. And I said, Christian, help yourself to something to eat if you want. And he says, No, 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 I just don't eat a whole lot anymore and stuff like that. So it's funny how after they move on, they don't eat quite as much, but. Um, but you know and but it was it was great i mean it was really good but it's usually typically you fix twice as much food for them as if i was serving 25 basketball players on the team including managers and staff and coaches and stuff i would fix enough food for 50 people so so ted shane battier the reason we're talking to you is is that shane told me when i was chatting with him um, that, that Ted Wheeler barbecue was a staple for the 2001 team. Uh, did, did coach K ever say to you, Hey, this is a really important meal. Like we've got an important recruit coming or something like that. I was never told that this was an important meal or this recruit is real important to us to get it in, get, um, to sign them or something like that, to get them to like Duke. Um, there were recruits that came in from time to time when we were doing meals and doing team meals that were visiting Duke at the time. But um, there was never a uh, never a time that Coach K or Jerry Brown, who is Coach K's uh, administrative assistant, uh, would call and say, Ted, is, this has got to be really first class this time and stuff like that. Um, never had that put to me. And nobody ever told me what to fix when either. That was what was very interesting. They trusted me. And what I always tried to do was I always tried to um, fix foods for these kids. And they were kids to me. But for fixed food for these players that were, that their mom would fix for them at home. So they, you know, number one, wouldn't get homesick because some of them, it was their freshman years and stuff like that. And to fix food that I knew they would eat so they would eat the food while they were there and they wouldn't be visiting some pizza or burger joint two hours later at night. Ted, can I ask Jason's question in a slightly different way? This is your opportunity sure. now. Would you like to take credit for any Duke basketball players, either success on the court or they're committing to the program? Uh, any, any sort of credit that you think that you have deserved over the years that you haven't gotten, you can ask for it now and we will give it to you. No. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, there is uh, nothing that I've ever done to sway a player to come to Duke or anything like that. I've enjoyed them all. You know, some I got to know better than others because of their personalities. Wojo was one. I love Wojo. He was so much fun and such a a great young young man at the time. And I just wish him the best and hope that um, after this Marquette thing that he gets you know moves on to someplace else i don't know if he has or hasn't already um shane was a favorite shane intimidated the heck out of me though because shane would come in there and while he's walking through the buffet he would talk about fixing this dish the other night at home or something like that and shane probably could have been a gourmet chef Coach K said one day that Shane could be president of the United States, and I agree with that, too. I mean, Shane was that type of person, and he's got that wonderful personality and and another favorite. Um, 
you know, I, there's been so many. Grant Hill and Cherokee Parks were graduating the year that I started doing these things. And I want to tell you a quick story, if you don't mind me telling this, but they're sitting there talking. Grant, Coach K, and Cherokee, they probably sat in there 45 minutes or an hour after everybody had left one night eating and talking. And I was always invited in the room and never asked to leave or anything like that. Nobody, Coach K never excluded me from anything. And anything that was ever said in there was always kept private also. Um, but they were talking and then Coach K looks at me about 45 minutes into the meal and says, Ted, I guess you would like to go home. And I said, Coach, you know what? It's probably thousands of people would like to be sitting in here with me right now or being here with me right now. And, um, and they don't get to do that, but I get to do that. And the good thing about all this is over with and after it's over with, I get to send you a bill for it afterwards. So it's not a bad deal. Hey, hey Ted, um, that, that's a, that's a great coach K story. I, we usually ask folks their favorite coach K story. Is that your favorite? Do you have any others? Oh, my favorite Coach K story probably is this, and it wasn't anything that we he and I interacted together in. But um, when I first started doing these things the first couple of years, in the middle of the summer, which I didn't do any um, Duke basketball camps or anything like that, so I didn't see the basketball team or anything like that. But one day I walk into my post office in my mailbox and I pull out a big envelope. And there's a shirt in there, a Duke basketball shirt, and a handwritten note from Coach K and says, really miss um, not seeing you during the summertime. Something along those lines from Coach K. I still have it somewhere. And um, it just warms your heart to know how grateful he is for things that people do and what a first-class act he is and how – you know, I've been to his home to do recruit meals and things like that and how comfortable it always is when you go there and is you don't feel uh, pretentious or anything like that. I'm not sure if that's the correct word to use, but he's just, um, he's, he is everything you always see. He is a first class act and his entire family is also too. Well, Ted Wheeler, Ted Wheeler catering, I guess you, you told me you're kind of retired now, so we're not really promoting your business, but we really appreciate. No. Yeah, we we really appreciate you coming on and sharing with us some of your 30 plus year history working with Duke Athletics, uh, making the making all the players not hungry anymore. So thank you so much, Ted, <laughs> for the insight. I, I was gonna say, and 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 thanks for. Uh, Thanks for making us hungry today. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm sorry about that. Just uh, call an order and get um, Uber Eats or something like that. I'm going to have do. to now. Thanks, man. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. So once again, thanks to Ted for joining us, uh, for letting us, peeling back the curtain, so to speak, on what it was the Duke Blue Devils were eating throughout the 30 years from the mid-80s until – um, gosh, just a few years ago when, when he retired, but wow, there was some, first of all, I'm incredibly hungry, but there were some just really, really fun stories in there. Elton Brand, I can just picture Elton Brand coming up to you and saying, I need my dessert. <laughs> I wish we had, I wish we had had like a, a, a betting pool or something before we asked that question about who the right. hungry is. I know, Ooh, right? Alas, I, I, I I really enjoyed uh, his his affinity for fried chicken because I also have an affinity for fried chicken. So I Same feel here. like Ted and I just really have a lot in common. 
for me, and this is a nice story that I think Sam will appreciate uh, as a lot of people know, Sam was involved with the football team. I also worked for the football team when I was in school. And my first away trip that we had to get on a plane for was the game that we played at Tennessee at Neyland Staley. So we get on the plane and beforehand, my boss was like, Hey, you know, we'll, we'll serve you a little snack on the plane. So, you know, don't really eat anything, but we're going to serve you a snack. And I get on the plane and I sit down and they all have little snacks in the uh, little areas where they have the magazines normally on flight. Right. So I pull up the bag and I go, Oh, this is our snack. They go, yeah, it's cheeseburgers. I was like, Oh, cool. Awesome. I open my bag and there are four cheeseburgers in there. And I'm like, is this for the whole row or is this they're like, no, that's that's your snack. And then we're going to feed us when we get off the plane. I'm like, who eats all this food? Meanwhile, at the front of the plane, all the football players are like bartering like, yo, hey, you're a kicker. You don't need four cheeseburgers. Let me get you. Let me get your cheeseburger. And they were all just kind of bartering, using the cheeseburger to barter for other things that they may have had at the training table. stuff. the food that athletes get, it does. I don't think Ted able was able to really do it justice. Like I'm I'm a big dude. And guys will eat three, four times as much as I do. And I eat a lot of food. The year and a half that I spent working for the football team was probably the worst year and a half for my personal consumption in not just in college, <laughs> but but throughout my like the amount of food that gets served to the football players is just because they have to. Right. The, the, the some of these kids, they, they're like they're 19 years old and they weigh 300 pounds and they need that weight to stay on and they're exercising all the time. So they have right. to eat like crazy. I I had the 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 same experience as you, Donald. I specifically remember that we uh, before the games would get served like a box of it would have like fried chicken and a burger in it and some and some sides. And then after the game, I get a big box of Chick-fil-A. And like normally when I go to Chick-fil-A, I get like a three or four piece strips meal, like a you know, just like one of the normal like combo meals. A normal meal. Yeah. And a Chick-fil-A that they would they would give me like a sandwich and some nuggets and some fries. And that was like just the post game sort of thing that I had to eat. And I was like, I don't even want, like, I'm, I love eating. I can't even eat all this because this is too much food. So uh, yeah. when, when Ted Wheeler says that he had to make a lot of food for, for not a lot of people, I absolutely believe in that was so much fun to, and to we, reminisce. And we probably that. had, we probably had a lot of Ted Wheeler uh, food over the years. As I'm thinking about it, I must've, I must've yeah, encountered sure it because he was still it, around right. when, when I was in school. So he must've catered some of these dinners that I had with the football team. Well, that is our job here on the DVR podcast to pull back the curtain and let people know about the little little things that you wouldn't otherwise find out about the Blue I will, Devils I will and say, Blue Jason, Devil Athletics. Yeah, I'll, real quickly, uh, I know they say you know usually when they when you go to the supermarket to buy food, they say the general rule of thumb is never go to a supermarket hungry. Never do a podcast hungry, ladies and gentlemen, especially when that podcast is on food. No, this oh was a, this I, was a terrible idea. Yes, um, <laughs> I I really I could use some fried chicken right now and some. And some pulled pork. I know and, what's lunch. And oh god, every, it's, this this is not this is not working for me. So we're going to take a quick break, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> we're probably going to go fill up our stomachs when we come back from the break. We're going to be talking about a disturbing trend that is impacting high school hoops and could impact college hoops in a very very significant way. That story in just a moment. So welcome back to the DBR podcast. We're going to quickly chat a little bit about something that's been going on for the past week or so um, regarding high school hoops and uh, specifically um, players turning pro early. And by early, I mean really early. Uh, in the past week, we've had three high school juniors. 
that's right, you heard me, juniors who went ahead and committed to either the G League or Overtime Elite. Um, the G League, we've already known about this. This is something that's been going on now for more than a year. Um, and, and the G League took, uh, uh, they've taken a couple players out of the class of 21, um, and, and now they've taken a player out of the class of 22, a, a, a junior named Scoot Henderson, who's a super quick point guard who's going to play in the G League for two years before he um, enters the NBA. But in addition to that, there's this league called Overtime Elite that is backed by some very rich people, including Jeff Bezos of, of Amazon. I think Drake is involved with this. Um, uh, and Overtime Elite has signed a pair of brothers who I, I call them juniors. They're actually technically sophomores. These guys are, uh, I think they're both 15 years old. They're in the class of 2023, Matt and Ryan Booley, who are going to be paid a million dollars each to play for the overtime elite team for two years before they presumably go, I don't know, to the G league team or, or to the NBA or something like that. It's, it, it is clear that the, the trend of, of money trickling down from the upper reaches of the NBA is, is making its way down into the high school ranks in a pretty significant kind of way. Uh, Donald, I'll, I'll go to you first. Do, do you, does this concern you um, in terms of, players is this a competition for college i guess that's my my question is this going to change the college game as we lose more and more players to these potential pro leagues so i'm going to answer this question a little differently you asked if i was concerned the answer is no not about the player uh and about players going to college and here's why we see this in other sports maybe not the big sports like football and basketball but we see this all the time again i'm in soccer we have people who are 13, 14 years old who are signing pro deals in Europe and here in the United States. It happens all the time and people end up, you know, finishing their high school education virtually or online or something like that. So I'm not worried about that part. What I am concerned about is the potential for exploitation of these players. Again, gassing them up and tell them, hey, you're going to be a star. Like, you know, because again, they're going to see these dollar signs and they're going to say, oh, well, these guys think, I'm worth a million dollars. I must be worth a million dollars. But that's just one, you know, one person, right? And there's going to be so much potential at that point for exploitation to happen of some of these younger athletes as we keep treading younger and younger because the money is there for the people who are trying to exploit them. That is my concern. But when it comes to the college game, I think there is a lot of people who kind of want to see this happen in a way because they're tired of people coming to college for one year and leaving. If all of those players end up going pro in some form, whether it be via this elite team or through the G League, then the players who are coming to college theoretically could be coming to college to stay longer and become part of the college experience that we all had. So there's some good and bad in it. And I think I don't think it's going to change the college game because some people still look at college as the the pinnacle of exposure and even when we talk about name, image, likeness, all that, the exposure aspect is still there in college. The over, over team, overtime elite team and the G League doesn't have that exposure yet on an international scale. They have it on the more focused scale of, yeah, scouts can come easily and watch us play. So those are the, those are the pros and cons of it. I, I don't really see a concern about it with regards to the change in the college game. I do, however, see that there is potential for exploitation and they need to really focus, hone in on that so that it doesn't become a problem. So, Donald, I think you're absolutely right about the concern about these players potentially being exploited. Uh, and you're also absolutely right about who's going to watch these leagues. I mean, my 
my big question, especially about the overtime elite, um, because they're taking guys, you know, significantly younger than the, than the G league. Um, I, I don't know how the overtime elite league is going to make any money. I mean, I follow recruiting pretty closely. I, I, I hadn't even heard of Matt and Ryan Bully. Uh, they're, they're top 15 recruits. I mean, these, I'm not saying these guys aren't good players and, and build NBA potential someday, but we're talking about a guy, a couple of guys who are, you know, just finishing up their sophomore year of high school. Let, let me put this in perspective for you. Coach K wasn't even allowed to call these guys yet. There's a limit on when coaches can begin making phone calls to recruits. It is June prior to June 1st, prior to their junior season of high school. Coach K wasn't allowed to talk to these guys yet, but Overtime Elite was, and Overtime Elite called them and made them an offer and, and brought these guys into their program. Um, but I don't know that there's anybody out there who's like dying to watch great 15 and 16 year olds play, play basketball, especially when we don't know where they're going to be playing in the NBA or in college or anything like that. It just, it seems strange to me. And then the other thing I wanted to, to mention was um, there, there are people out there who say, oh no, this is terrible for college basketball. This is going to impact college basketball. And, and, and Donald, I, I, I'm inclined to agree with your assessment that, you know, hey, so if some of the top guys go away, it just, it doesn't, doesn't change the college game that much. I mean, think about the, on this, think back on this college basketball season. Were there any moment, was there any moment where you were like, oh gosh, if only Jonathan Kaminga and Jalen Green were playing college basketball right now? No, you didn't care. They were playing for, they were playing for G League and it didn't matter. It didn't affect college basketball that they weren't playing. Even Dacian Nix, who was committed to UCLA and, and left, UC, you know, did not go to UCLA so he could go to the G League team because UCLA didn't have him. All UCLA did was make the final four and discover that Tiger Campbell, you know, was a, was a star for them at point guard instead of having Dacian Nix. Uh, Michigan was supposed to get Isaiah Todd. Isaiah Todd instead went and played for the G League team. Oh, so all Michigan had was their best, you know, their first Big Ten title in seven years, and they had Franz Wagner and Hunter Dickinson manning the post instead of Isaiah Todd. <laughs> it doesn't affect college basketball when these guys leave. So I, I just don't think it's that big a deal the overtime league or whoever else is coming in here has to battle the entrenched interest and, and attention that college basketball has. Cause it's not just, even if they were to get an overwhelming amount of the talent out of, let's say like, you know, there are like the, the 25 five-star guys that come out of every class. Let's say that this league got half or even, even two thirds, three quarters of those players. It, it won't it would, by the way, but yeah, it yeah. won't, which it won't, they would have to have enough, like interest to to beat out all of the all the Duke fans and all the Kentucky fans and all the Kansas fans and all the other fans of all these great programs. Not to mention that, like, if you think about the the end of season, the end of se- at the end of their senior years, a lot of these players end up playing in the All Star games. The McDonald's All American game is the most prominent. Jordan Brand Classic, all the all the shoe companies, and and everybody's got a got a, a high school showcase game. Uh, but but those are a couple of the big ones. Even the McDonald's All-American game does not garner the kind of attention that that a college basketball game gets. And and maybe exactly. you get people that, that tune in just for that. But that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about a a basically extended at its at its best, it's an extended McDonald's All-American game season. And I just don't know that that there's going to be interest for that. And and I'll tell you something else very interesting. Jalen Green recently and Jalen Green is is projected to to be a, a top five NBA draft pick for sure. He recently tweeted that if he had played college basketball, he thinks he'd be in the conversation for going number one in the draft. It looks like number one in the draft is going to be either 
Cade Cunningham or Evan Mobley. And Jalen Green's right in that next group alongside like Jalen Suggs. And so Jalen Green said, you know, if I'd played college ball, I'd be in the conversation for going number one in the draft. Um, hey, hey, Jalen, no one prevented you from playing college ball. Uh, you didn't play college ball because you chose to take a different path. And, and hey, you know, you got supposedly he got, you know, close to half a million dollars for doing it. Great. More power to him. That's fabulous. But I want to point something out. If if playing in the G League for one season cost Jalen Green even one spot in the NBA draft, because he's a guy looking at the top. If rather than going, let's say, second, he goes third. If rather than going first, he goes third or something like that. If you look at what the NBA pays, those, those very, very top draft picks, he cost himself money. Playing that, that you know, a half a million, there's more than a half a million dollar difference in the rookie contracts of the first guy and the second guy or the second guy and the third guy. You have to get down to being like the 20th or 30th pick for, for one spot, not to be worth a half a million or more. So if Jalen Green thinks it cost him by playing in the G League, then it's his own fault and he is making an advertisement for why players should not take this route and they should go to college instead. And honestly, look, if I'm taking a contract at the age of 15 or 16 years old to go play in some league that has just been created for the purpose of trying to get people ready for the NBA, I didn't want to go to college in the first place. And so most college fans would tell you, you don't want them on your team. If you're not trying to like, especially for Duke fans, we're like, Hey, even the guys who come one and done, we, we encourage them to unpack their bags, quote unquote, and get involved in, in partake in the college experience for however long that you choose to be there. But if they're choosing to go pro at 16, it's because they didn't want to have that college experience. And, and that's, that's fine. That's a, that's a path that they can take. That's a path that other athletes and other sports takes. But we also can't come back and then say, oh, well, I, I should have gone to college. If I got to college, I, I would have had more money. It's, it's all about the, the choices in life we take. If you choose to go this route, yeah, you may get some money here. You may lose some in the back end. If you go to college, you're not going to get any upfront, but maybe you get a number one draft pick, or maybe you get a big shoe deal, or maybe you get some other endorsement that's going to pocket you down the road and set you up. It's all the paths we take. None of them are incorrect. It's the best one for you. But at the end of the day, these players are making their decision, and that's the decision that they that they live with. We'll see how it works for them. Well, and by the way, Donald, one thing is about to change. Um, the NCAA says, and we are we are a month and a couple days Close. away from yeah. <laughs> The NCAA says that by January, I'm sorry, by July 1st, they will have name, image, and likeness legislation. They have to have it by July 1st because there are a number of states that are going to make the NCAA, force the NCAA's hand and do it anyway. So those guys who go to college will be able to make money off their name, image, and likeness and, you know, other stuff related to that. There is not a lot of time between yeah. between now and, and that date. So the, um, they need to have like, the, you know how the selection committee, like for the last like two weeks of the regular season just kind of meets every single day. It's sequestered in the sele- hotel. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, they, they, got, they need a selection committee. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's going to be very interesting what they come up with. But but the bottom line is um, players are going to be able to earn some money while they're in college. And and I think that the, the top college programs that have the most followers, shout out Duke fans, um, are going to be the places where the players are able to earn the most. So that's going to be a really interesting change in the world of recruiting. And in the end, when you negate that, it goes back to the exposure factor and which team, which yep. place right now is going to have the most exposure. It's still college basketball. Hey, one really, really quick final thing I wanted to mention on this episode of the DBR podcast. We're talking about money. I was in Atlantic City a couple of days ago, and I just want to let everyone know I purchased two tickets 
One of them, people are going to be happy with the other one. People are going to be really pissed off at me, but I, I feel like in the interest of fairness, I need to let everyone know what I did. Um, I walked up to the sports wagering window and I placed a $25 wager on the Duke blue devils to win the 2022 national title at odds of 16 to one, 16 to one. Stop Duke, there. Stop if, there. Don't, don't, don't give us the, don't give us the veggies. Uh, don't give us the veggies. If Duke wins, I get 425 bucks, but I saw another bet that I thought was a slightly better. I mean, look, it was the gambler in me that made me do it. I also placed a wager on Kentucky. They were getting 25 to one. I think 25 to one Kentucky. This, they just loaded up on a bunch of transfers, like guys who can really shoot from the outside. Jason, so if, Jason, you'll get, you'll get no hate from me. You are simply hedging against your happiness. Exactly. And, exactly. And, and there are, there are sports gambling folks that will tell you never to bet on your own team. I would tell you to never bet on Duke because you're always going to get, you're always going to get worse odds uh, because of how, of how popular yeah. Duke is. Bet on Duke and you're football, always going to be bet on Duke basketball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so my wager on Kentucky will pay me 650 bucks. I also, I was intrigued by, I looked at, they had 25 to one on Alabama and I thought about it for a minute, but then I went, there's just no way that Alabama is winning the college basketball national title. So I did not put my money, my money. Jason there, Baylor just won the Jason Baylor just won the basketball national championship. Yeah, but so. Baylor's been good in basketball for longer than Alabama has. <laughs> I'm just saying, <laughs> Hey, I could be wrong. I, I will be, I'll, I'll be kicking myself if we're here in April Talking about Alabama winning a title, I'm like, God, I could have won 650 bucks. Hey, honestly, at this point now, all I gotta do is walk a mile down my down down the street to Capital One Arena, where the first pro sports book in an arena opened yesterday. Uh, I didn't go yesterday because apparently it was a madhouse. But one of these days, I will go down and open an account, and I can do little things like you know bet against Maryland or or you know bet bet on Patrick Ewing and and how many times he says. Uh, step back one legged. How many? What kind of shot is that? I, I could do that now. It'll be fun. The, the world is changing, but uh, we are still here. We are not changing. For Sam and Donald, I am Jason. We want to thank you for joining us here on episode 315 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Lots more stuff coming your way in coming days, but for now, we are signing off. We say Duke Band, play us out and take us home. Hey there, Duke fan. <laughs> <laughs>